0: You're listening to the Hutchins Old Boys podcast with me, an old boy, Ollie Gill. Over this series, we'll highlight the weird and the wonderful and some of the great stories from fellow Hutchins Old Boys that you might not be across. Enjoy.
1: Hello and welcome to the Hutchins Old Boys podcast. I'm James McLeod and it's my privilege to today introduce you to the brand new host of this brand new Hutchins Old Boys podcast, Ollie Gill.
0: Ollie, welcome. Thank you very much, and I suppose we should get it out of the way first of all. Am I allowed to call you James, or is it still Mr McLeod? What, what are the rules in this situation?
1: Look, Ollie, you can call me as you did when I was your teacher uh, from 2009, I think, on to when you left in 2012. You can call me just whatever you like, because it didn't matter Perfect. what I wanted. It, uh, yeah, you, you, <laughs> you guys uh, you guys called me lots of things. Uh, yeah. James is fine. Uh, anything else you come up with, uh, also fine. Now, Ollie, um, you're going to be the new host of the Hutchins Old Boy podcast. But today, we've sort of turned the tables, or should I say, the mics on you, because we thought what we'd do first of all is introduce you to the listeners and uh, find out a little bit about what's behind the host of the Hutchins Old Boys podcast. So, you left in 2012. Tell us a little bit about what you've up. Been up to since leaving Hutchins?
0: Uh, yeah, well, it feels it feels like not not too long ago, really. But she's what's that? Eight years? Crazy. Since I left school, I moved to Adelaide, and I originally went in to do a bachelor of media at Adelaide University, and lasted about seven or eight months, and dropped out because it just wasn't wasn't for me, really. And from there, I just got really keen to, you know, uh, I, I wrote a TV show and, and uh, went on radio at Nova and, and things like that. And I was just really hungry to kind of uh, sink my teeth into the work, not not study, I suppose, probably coming from, from such a long time at school. That was probably... Yep, um, yep. A catalyst to that and and since then it's just been a case of you know I moved to Melbourne and, and then now um, I'm currently in london so it's it's been a, an exciting time of just constantly moving and and looking forward to to the next thing
1: okay so you moved to London from Melbourne was that yep. prompted purely by wanting to go and further your career or were you just traveling and ended up in London or
0: no, it was. It was definitely to to prompt my career. I've always been interested in in the sport uh, which I'm I'm working in at the moment, um, but also the music, the fashion, the food, things like that. But the the one thing that I've been, you know, so I I really actually enjoy is is trying to think of the positives out of a really negative situation, and and that was sort of what the move came from because I was working with a sports radio station called Eon, uh, which folded after a year. So I'd moved from Adelaide to Melbourne for this role, and I and then. All of a sudden you've got a full-time job no more and, and you got no friends or family and and it was a little bit um a little bit daunting. So I sort of spent the next six months just doing any freelance work that I could, uh, just trying to stay in Melbourne. And then it just got to the point where I thought, well, hey, if you've got no contracts, you've got no, you know, no real ties other than a, a phone bill that I never paid anyway. Yeah. Um, it's as good a good time as ever just to to flee the country and do something that You know, I've always been excited, but also scared to do it at the same time.
1: Yeah, well, it is. It's a daunting thing to be working uh, in another country and uh, to be trying to, you know, forge a future. So how did that unfold when you got to London?
0: It was it was a rocky start. So first of all, I didn't have enough money in my bank account because I read it as Australian dollars and not pounds. Uh, so that's a, a trick for young players. Yeah. Uh, so I I mean that was a nightmare. They uh, so when I arrived, I was I actually arrived on Christmas Day and was kept in the detention at the airport for about an hour to prove that I was okay to be there. Oh, wow. And I was in, I was in matching – I was, actually had them out not long ago. I had um, matching Christmas jumpers <laughs> on and, and that was uh, – yeah, that was a rude a rude welcome to the country. But when things got going, it was, it was great. It was really good. So I had um, just essentially up until that point been on LinkedIn all night. So, yeah, you know, I'd stay up Australian time all night to catch people – in London and, and just begged them for a cup of coffee and, and until the point where enough people, you know, agreed to it and then because I actually went for a trip just before I moved. So I went for like a bit of a taste testing okay. trip. Yep. And they said, Yeah, look if you if you live here there might might be something. And then I, I knocked on their door a month later and and I said, Well I'm I'm here now and <laughs> I'd love some work and, and that's sort of yeah been the flow on. So
1: what was the the breakthrough? Where where was that uh, situated and what what, what sort of what sort of work were you doing? Was that with sport or?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was so talk sport is. I'm trying to think if there's. I guess SEN in Australia is probably the equivalent. So talk sport cover uh, mainly Premier League, but also cricket, rugby, and um, and American sports as well. So got uh, a lot of work there, but. In sort of compared to what I was doing in Australia with hosting, it was was nowhere near that. So it was a nice, humbling experience to start again and have a. You know, I've always explained it as if it's a you know a kid from Gloucester in England who wants to then be on the the breakfast show with Eddie Maguire talking about AFL. Yeah. It's not going to happen overnight. And so for a kid from Hobart to be able to go to London and, and try and convince them that you know their sport has been really tough and a really humbling experience. But it's it's been really enjoyable. And off the back of that, I've been able to do a lot of work with Optus, who are the right holders to the Premier League in Australia. And that's been the best part of my time, I'd say. So being able to still work in and around the sport in the city that I'm in, but providing uh, content for for back home is is pretty exciting and and pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. I caught up with a couple of your programs uh, during the World Cup I saw, yeah, on Optus Sport. I remember one particular one where you were uh, a shirt. Soccer shirt uh, or football, we should call it, shouldn't it? Football yeah, yeah, shirt right. uh, and going around the with the famous players of and their different yeah. shirts at that shop in London.
0: Yeah, they're the they're the parts with Optus in particular that they sort of come to us and go, Hey, look, would you like to go to your yeah, classic football shirts uh, the warehouse? Yeah. And you go, Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would. And then off the back end of that, there's lots of cool things that we get to get to do that I think locals here. Probably wouldn't want to do. So, for example, we all want to go and work at at Arsenal or Manchester United. That's a given. That's why I'm here. But 50% 50 of that, yes, I think. Correct. (laughs) Correct. But on the other end of things, there's lots of really awesome stories in the lower leagues that are more of a just an experience for someone who's not from that country. And I've like you. We've gone up to uh, Grimsby. So the assistant coach at Grimsby is from Launceston. Um, Anthony Limbricks, his name. And we went up there and and got to know him. Grimsby, yeah. So you go to these places that no one would, would. would really think of going to because um, everyone wants to go to Liverpool and and Manchester City and you go there and the people are so nice and it's awesome and they go you've got to try our pies and it's just like some bloke who's been making pies for you know since he was about 13 and it's those kind of things that you I will definitely look back on my time in England and go I I prefer doing that than the, the big kind of you know the big games.
1: Yeah, excellent. Oh, it sounds like a great angle, and it's an appreciation of the the sport, and it is just absolutely fanatical. And fanaticism isn't reserved for Premier League, is it? It's, uh, no. yeah, it's just it's it's occurring. Just in every next suburb, there's another team and another set of fanatics. and uh,
0: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: it's enormous. And what, and, what,
0: and what they stand for as well, which has also been something that I haven't been able to grasp until I've been here. So you go to, to Newcastle, one club town, and we went around asking fans just essentially what they think of their club right now. And you don't even need to walk up and ask, hey, are you a Newcastle fan? And they go, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> like, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was a Tuesday, nine o'clock in the morning, you'd be able to go to these pubs, and there were just all these blokes, you know, gut out, and they're having a beer at 9 a.m., wearing their, you know, tight Newcastle shirt, and they've all got an opinion. They've all, and it's just, and it's great. And they, they go, hey, it's a beer. And you go, what's, 9 AM. Yeah, yeah, it would. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah There's something to be
1: talked. Or football I should keep exactly. Saying, yeah. It's
0: yeah. It's it's pretty incredible. It's cool.
1: Mm. Oh, that is very cool. And what what exactly for talk sport? Uh, you know, how does your your week look? What are you doing?
0: Well, well, I mean, obviously now it's very different. Yeah. I've got a lot less work because yeah, unfortunately they don't cover the Taiwanese baseball or the Belarus <laughs> league, which has been tough. Um, yeah. But, but sort of during, I'd say the first five months when I was a bit worried to just be a freelancer, I was doing everything. So I was assistant producing, which is just you know cutting up audio, scheduling tweets, things like that, um, but then also doing the social media. So actually, it was quite funny through Hutchins and coincidentally, my dad teaching me media, um, learning a lot about Premiere Pro and, and things like that. <laughs> I've then all of a sudden got a job where they said, does anyone know how to cut up on Premier on Premiere Pro and they go Yeah, I do and and Mr. Gill slash my dad would be would be a very happy man knowing that. So sensational. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was a, that was a that was a funny moment and yeah, so th- on that end it was 7 days a week doing anything I can just to be in the building. Yep. And then as you get you know the ashes come around then you have the opportunity to reinforce the fact that you are comfortable and confident and have a history on air and then they let you do that. And so then I started doing more cricket shows, um, announcing overnight shows, and then the American sport kicked into gear. So then I I did the uh, NFL live coverage, uh, which was which was really enjoyable. And so that was that week. And, and there was a period where it would be maybe talk sport three days a week, including the NFL. Then I'd go to ESPN and we'd do the uh, fantasy for the Uh, NFL which was awesome and then I'd be doing one day a week with Optus going somewhere up the country and that was when life was pretty cool at that point because you get to it was just traveling but working and then now you've got no sport and so everything is um, put on hold which is, which is frustrating. So right now it's virtually two, three days a week, but just at home and, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, weird. it's it, really strange.
1: It's a very weird time, isn't it, Ollie? And, um, yeah, yeah, and everyone gets affected in so many different ways. Yeah, but prior to this horrible time, um, it sounds like, as you say, a bit of a dream.
0: I'd say bit of a dream doesn't even cut it. It's absolutely a dream. It was, you know, we went to Miami for the Super Bowl oh, and you just go like, how. but but even then, I suppose one thing I, I would like to say is that I'm still at that point where, you know, I had to fund myself to go, but I wanted to go in order to be able to have the opportunity to be able to work there. Yep. And so I still am in this position where, and I will be for a really long time, where you just got to do anything you can to be able to get in that position. Because on paper, it sounds really cool and, and, and fantastic that I was able to do work for the Super Bowl in Miami. But the back end of that was, can I afford it? I'm booking a hotel, travel, everything myself. It's not as glamorous as it, as it kind of comes across with the hope that then... 10, 15 years down the track, uh, I'll be able to leave the wallet at home. That's the dream.
1: Yeah, so that yeah, that really will be the dream, but it does sound so exciting um, and it is the way of the, the world at the moment, isn't it, that uh, you really have to be lucky or you have to be self-funded to get a, a, a kick along in in so many of these industries and the industry you're working in particularly.
0: Yeah, well, I think, I think you certainly make your own luck. That's that's one thing that I've always thought of, particularly coming from, from Tassie. I've been really lucky that my mum has worked in radio for a long time. My dad, of course, um, Mr. Gill at Hutchins was heavily involved in media and drama. So they've been really great at giving me a leg up in terms of, you know, self editing at home, uh, that sort of thing. But then, since leaving, then it's it, you really need to especially leaving the country. That's when you go right out. So you think that you've say this far up the ladder, then you go overseas and you are not even on the ladder. You're yeah, you're propping yeah. it up for someone else. And so that's enjoyable if you if you like that challenge, which I do, but then also there's times where you, you know, 16 hour a day and you just made cups of tea for people. And you just go, oh, how could, you know, how long can I do this for? But then it everything sort of starts to make sense eventually. Excellent.
1: Oh, it's fantastic. It's really, you know, we really wish you well with that. And obviously uh, we're hoping, I think, just an announcement yesterday in London about the resumption of the Premier League. But there seems to be a bit of a dispute yeah. about that at the moment too, I think, that uh, some people yeah. are saying it's not I mean, safe.
0: Yeah, a little bit like the AFL in the set, situation that they've got. They've got a players' association that, Um, stand up for what they want to do and um, Danny Rose from Newcastle said the other day. So I don't really care about the nation's morale. We're not playing. It's too dangerous. Too dangerous, Um, yeah. Because there were, yeah, there were, there were, there were rumours that they were being forced to start the Premier League to, in fact, um, increase the morale of of the English people, which it would have done, but at what expense? It's, it's ridiculous. So it's, uh, it will be interesting to see what happens, but it's so far separated from where Australia are at. You can't even comprehend, you know, I was watching, Eddie Maguire speak today about what's going on with you know the Adelaide Crows going to the Barossa Valley and having a um, a training camp there and how you know that sort of set the hub system back for the AFL. But over here we're still in the hundreds of deaths a day. Like it's yeah. just so not. And then yet we're discussing you know going back to training and and having games. It just feels a long way away. I, I, I feel.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think it is too. Um, or it ought to be. So it'll be yeah. interesting to yeah, see what exactly.
0: happens. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. We're even apprehensive about it here. And I do think we've, uh, you know, Australia's a bit ahead of the curve um, or ahead of the game, I should say. Yeah. So um, we could spend a lot of time talking about, because uh, everyone does, talking about the virus. But I'm we're really here to interview you. And I'm just thinking perhaps we could change tack a little bit and just think a little bit, you could tell us a little bit about your time at the Hutchins School. You've mentioned Father yeah. Graham. Uh, yep. And and he's teaching, and you're an English teacher uh, as well. But tell us, um, tell us some of the, your main favourite memories of being at school.
0: Loved it, absolutely loved it. I went to Sacred Heart for primary school, and Dad had got a job at Hutchins. I think maybe a year before that and just would would come home and just tell me how much he loved loved it and the kids loved it. And so for halfway through grade seven, I just thought, you know, oh, this is where I want to be and and was lucky enough to, to get in halfway through the year. And I just loved it. Like there were so many great memories that I had there. And then also I would say, to be totally honest, some, some hard ones, because I was involved a lot in dancing, uh, drama and and things like that, that Let's be honest, it's celebrated, definitely at Hutchins, but it's still an all-boys all school. And when you're 17, there are still some challenges. But in hindsight, I just wouldn't change anything. My time at Hutchins was so good in, in able to, to learn self-confidence, to be able to get up in front of the whole school and do a cabaret. You know, yeah. it's, it's not easy. I've got to be honest, it's really not. Not at 16, 17. And you kind of felt that if you could do that, you could kind of get... Get away with doing anything but then on the flip side of that I'd still love my sport and so being involved with with the soccer team and and I remember my favorite one of my favorite memories ever was when I I remember a few of the footy guys talking about how they they didn't think that uh dance should be a sport and I went pull well, <laughs> red rag to a bull there yes. like come on boys and so I held a a training session for the footy team where it was myself, uh, Jackie Code, the dance teacher uh, and one other guy, I can't remember who it was, but he was actually working for Zumba at the time. I don't know if you remember that Latin dance craze, yes. sort of fitness and dancing at the time. So we held this two-hour dancing training session for the footy boys. Three of them did their hamstrings. They were all sitting in a pile of sweat <laughs> towards the end of it, and and it was a a bit of a moment to go, okay, fair enough. We maybe maybe it is sport uh, sport after all. But they were they were some of the the things that I loved. In we, you know, if you've got a hundred boys in your year that are just competitive, no matter what they do. from And that was the thing that I think I'll take away from Hutchins because you talk about a boys' school being competitive. The first thing you think of is sport, but my experience wasn't like that. It was performing arts. Yes. It was debating. It was, you know, even down to the house chess. Like, that, like it was, you wanted to win it and you wanted, if you didn't know how to play chess, you were asking the guys who did know how to play chess and then you were competitive to make sure that you're in the Mock, mock United Nations trip up to Deloraine. De it was it just was a really cool time to be able to pit yourself against everyone and and see where you're at. And I loved the environment. Loved it.
1: Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That's great to hear. And um, I think you can... Rest easy, the dance is a very strong statement the Hutchins School makes these days. I, I really yep. do think that it's recognised by everybody that, uh, you know, and you might have been more pioneering days back in your time, particularly when you first started dance, but now it's uh, it's just immersed as part of the of what Hutchins does. Hang yeah, it's, it's a brilliant it's thing.
0: Great. It's great. Oh, look, it's so good to see. And and I remember the, the thing that I liked so much about it was I, I mean, I personally really enjoyed it, but then there are other kids who just didn't know what to do. So they thought, oh, I'll give it a crap. And that was out of their comfort zone. I tell you what, to go to the dance store in the middle of the Hobart CBD and ask for a pair of elastic booties <laughs> when you're 15, I'm telling you, it's – you, you're out of your comfort zone a little bit. You know, we're, from memory, I don't know what it is now, but at the time we were definitely one of maybe three all-boys dance troops in the Southern Hemisphere and we're in Tasmania. Like that, I think that's kind of what made it so special but also made you feel a bit like a fish out of water and it was such a cool thing to do because not many other uh, lads, certainly in Tassie, would get the opportunity to, to do that.
1: Now, actually, Ollie, it's really interesting you mentioned that. It's become, as I said, just part of what Hutchins does. But it's interesting. Yep. I'd, I'd be interested to find out just how much it's grown in other schools and whether it has been picked up. That's a really yep. good point because I just remember hearing some results in recent times and, there was, and there were, I could can't remember them saying there was an all-boys school that another old boys school that was doing that when they went to the the nationals. So but I could be wrong there. I could be wrong. But um yeah, it's just yeah, People look, are I don't out. know.
0: What would be interesting to find out is that is that I'm sure and confidently in 2020, certainly performing art schools would definitely have, have groups. But I think yeah. that's probably what made Hutchins so special that you wouldn't consider it a performing art school, but certainly. Within the inner sanctum of the school, there's there's a huge area for it, and yeah. so I think that's what made it even more special. That it wasn't like going to uh, NIDA, for example. You know, this is this isn't just what we do, yeah. but we're pioneering uh, the the all boys movement, which is great.
1: Excellent. Yeah, ap- absolutely. Yeah, I, I accept that. I reckon that's um a really good point. Now, Ollie, I'm getting a little bit concerned just while we're having this interview that you're not really the right person to host this podcast because you probably haven't got uh you know, you'll probably run out of things to say. No, it's sure. been wonder it's been wonderful to to talk with you, but do you want to just give um give us a little bit of an indication of where you think the, the Hutchins old boy podcast is going to go and what it's going to involve and so on?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, to be honest, a free-for-all at this stage, but it's going to be a really good chance, I think, to celebrate personally the weird and the wonderful. Yeah. You know, we, we, we get to know and we're very lucky with the Hutchins community that we're always relatively up-to-date with you know, what people have done since leaving school. Having said that, there are still a few people out there that have done some extraordinary things that, that might have lost contact with the school that we need to know. For example, uh, I spent New Year's Eve with uh, Gutierrez Pavlovichobar who was a year older, so he would have left in 2011. Yes. And he has just graduated clown school in the middle of France somewhere. and you just, Of course. And, and I was there with all of his clown mates and you're going what is going on? Like like that is bizarre and and amazing. And you can only imagine the story someone like that has been able to experience. So I guess that's where I want to take it to to learn about those stories and not necessarily business achievements, but life achievements as well. You know, who's actually gone out and, and done well in their given field, but, but had a real experience in doing so. And, and there, yeah, I think that's what we could probably expect from, from the chats.
1: Oh well, I'm really excited about it. I think it'll be absolutely fantastic. It's been brilliant uh, to hear from you today, and I, you know I wish you well, and uh, I hope you experience the joy that I've experienced catching up with an old boy. I'm caught up with an old boy from 2012, and as you said when you started, it doesn't—it's only eight years. But my goodness, uh, what a what a brilliant eight years you've had, and congratulations! But also just to reflect on your time at school, it's great to have so many positive reflections as well. So good luck with the, with the podcast.
0: And I've got to say, while I've got you, I'll, I'll, honestly, my fondest memories were were in your class and, and that's the reason that I, I put the cast out there and said, I'll, I'll, if, if I'm getting out of bed at seven o'clock in the morning, I'm going to be interviewed by Mr. McLeod and Mr. McLeod only because I remember you occasionally on Facebook, I will get notifications from the Sooty Show. I think it was, <laughs> And you, you used to bang on about the Sooty, there's something Sooty show, I can't, the puppets. The Sooty Sweep show. That's the one. Did I? Yes, <laughs> you time. type. And I remember I went away, it must have been, let's say, in, in grade nine and I must have liked the page on Facebook. Maybe once every two months they'll post a clip from the show and I go, <laughs> geez, Mr McLeod would love to see this. It's a, yeah, and, uh, and then the. The other memory I have before we wrap up was—I'm I'm sure you must have remembered your your daughter Gabby's 18th. We were invited to. It. The theme was 1994, and myself and Hamish Aykens dressed up as uh, yourself and your wife, and we gave birth to Gabby in the form of a, a, a cabbage patch doll, I think, from memory. And I didn't know what uh, a 1994 James McLeod would be wearing, but I went for a tie around my head. And a Led Zeppelin shirt, wrong era, uh, and and a leather jacket. So, I mean, I don't know if that's factually accurate, Uh, but certainly how I picture you.
1: It was disturbingly close, I think. (laughs) Yes, it was my everyday wear in in 94. Yeah. yeah. no, look, it's another memory I'll never forget of you arriving at the party and uh, Hamish Giving birth, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that was uh, it, it. Was you had to be there, but I think you've actually painted the picture pretty well for a yeah, lot, you lot of people. Have to
0: be there, really. <laughs> I mean, <it> was, <laughs> reflection. I wish no one was. Yes, but yeah.
1: No, very funny. Look, uh, it has been absolutely wonderful to uh, to speak with you. All the best, and you know, stay safe in this uh, in this rather horrible time and, all you know, I hope things do work out in London uh, and in England and, it, and that it all calms down over there as well. And I really look forward to hearing your uh, voice and interviewing some of those really interesting old boys that we've got coming up in the future
0: that's exactly right really looking forward to it and if you hear of any stories if you're listening to this podcast now if you hear of any great success stories or interesting stories with some of the the old boys please get in touch with us any one of us here um, it would be yeah great to hear so we can hopefully reach out and get in touch with them brilliant
1: thanks very much and uh, we'll look forward to the next podcast from you Ollie cheers
0: cheers I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hutchins Old Boys podcast remember to Keep your eye out on all your favourite podcatchers for the very next episode.